0: Hello, and welcome to The Conversation at AirSafe.com, the official podcast of the AirSafe.com Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis, the head of the foundation and the creator of AirSafe.com, your reliable source of airline safety and security information since 1996. In this installment of The Conversation at AirSafe.com, we'll explore one of the more popular pages on the site, the Top 10 Airline Safety Questions, which is located at uh, airsafe.com slash 10 underscore you can also conveniently get there from the homepage at airsafe.com starting from uh, the bottom number 10 how often do airliners crash? well point-of-fact they don't crash that often when you define crash as some passenger got killed it's fairly rare in fact in the United States it has uh, been almost four years in fact November 12 2001 since a passenger was killed on a large jet transport in some sort of accident, even including acts of sabotage. And by the way, that uh, November 2001 event was a A300 American Airlines crash in uh, Queens, New York. In that same four-year period, Canada, Japan, Australia, United States, collectively accounting for about, I'd say, 70% of all jet airline travel, had no fatal airline events involving a passenger, which is uh, something that has not happened ever in the history of jet aviation. In the U.S. alone, every other four-year period before that, there was at least one fatal event somewhere. By the way, for those of you who go to airsafe.com regularly, you know that uh, we define fatal events a little bit differently from accidents. We look at a fatal event as any time a passenger got killed when they had the intention of having a normal flight. That is, from the time they step onto the airplane to the time they step off, we don't make any distinctions between hijacking, sabotage, accident, etc. Moving right along, number nine. Is flying getting safer or less safe today compared with 10 or 20 years ago? The short answer, more safe. As I uh, talked about a minute ago, the U.S. has not had a fatal jet airliner event since uh, 2001. And I focus on jet airliners because that has always been the gold standard of safety. Those are the aircraft that have the most stringent requirements. Those are the aircraft that are flown by the biggest airlines. Those are the airplanes that attract the most attention and get the most scrutiny when something goes wrong. So any change in the overall level of risk tends to show, the positive changes tend to show first in the large jet aircraft. And by those measures, it's getting safer. Now, as far as numbers of events are going, Airsafe.com has been tracking fatal events since 1996, and there have been a low of 8 in one year and a high of 19 in one year. Typically, there's about 10 to 15 events a year, and these would include propeller-driven aircraft, aircraft that are flying in the developing world, aircraft that are still passenger flights, but not the normal passenger flight one would see in the United States. Now, even though things are getting safer... Every once in a while you have a situation where the public's attention is drawn to aviation safety because of things that happen. And one clear example of this was August and September of 2005 when there were a total of eight events in less than a two month period that resulted either in significant numbers of fatalities or they were spectacular events that involved no fatalities. Now, the spectacular events, you all may recall the August 2nd event in Toronto where an Airbus A340 from Air France uh, landed along on the runway, ran off the end of the runway, burst into flames. Very spectacular. Everyone got out of that aircraft. There were no fatalities in that event. But it was live on television on CNN in the United States and elsewhere in the world, I suppose, for hours on end that day. Later on, a few weeks later, you had that event with jet blue in Los Angeles where it was for all intents and purposes a routine landing gear situation that was handled by the book essentially but because it happened prime time in the US there were television helicopters in the air over Los Angeles who were giving live pictures of this all across the world CNN had live coverage of it this was something that generated a lot of discussion in the United States and elsewhere and caught the attention of a lot of people. But this was not something that would have put people at risk. So, the actual number of fatal events, steady to decreasing. Where they're happening, they're happening less in the places where there's the most effort, the most energy, the most money, the most resources poured into aviation safety. That would be North America, Western Europe, Japan, Australia, the usual suspects. Number eight, who investigates airline accidents? Well, this is uh, something that's more or less laid out by international agreement. When there is an accident, an event that takes place where it's within a country, that civil aviation authority basically has total control over how that investigation is done. Whether or not they invite other parties from outside of the country, whether or not they invite the airline, that's up to the individual country. The United States and Canada uh, have uh, been very prominent in accident investigations in the last 10 years, And their processes are pretty much the uh, gold standard by uh, which an airline accident gets investigated. There are also countries that have the advantage of being able to pour, if need be, tens of millions of dollars into an accident investigation. Now, in other countries, uh, and it's a sliding scale, if the country has no resources or very few resources, there aren't going to be that much in the way of resources thrown at investigating an accident. So uh, what you saw with Flight 800, Back in 1996, multiple Navy vessels, multiple uh, organizations being involved, hundreds of people both on-site and back in the offices of the various corporations that were involved in this accident. This is something that you would see in the United States. It's unlikely you would see this level of support ever in an event that would happen in a developing country. When it's an international flight, uh, there are rules laid down as to who would investigate it. In short, If an airliner from one country has an accident in a second country, that second country is responsible for investigating. But depending on the accident, the responsible country may cede their authority over to someone else. For example, 1999, you may recall uh, Egypt Air 767 crashed in the Atlantic Ocean, and because it was flying from the United States to Egypt over international waters. The Egyptian authorities were responsible for investigating the accident. However, those authorities allowed the United States NTSB to take a lead role in that. Number eight, who decides on what changes are made for safety? Typically, the lead countries that have the most influence on design and operation of airliners are those countries which have the lead role in the aviation industry. That would be the United States, United Kingdom, France, Canada. These are the countries that have the lion's share of much of the major development when it comes to air transportation. These are the countries where those civil aviation authorities that are overseeing aviation in those countries have to be satisfied with the design of an aircraft, with how an airline operates that aircraft, and typically if it passes muster with the Federal Aviation Administration in the United States, or the equivalent organizations in the European Union, it's pretty much accepted by other civil aviation organizations around the world. As far as how those changes come to the attention of those organizations, it's a combination of things. And in the experience of the folks who have worked with airsafe.com, it tends to be a function of several things. One, how many people got killed. Two, which organizations, which countries are being affected by a specific event. Three, whether or not there is a general consensus within the aviation community that a certain set of problems have to be addressed. For example, in the 1980s, there were several major crashes in the United States that involved wind shear. That is, a sudden change of the direction and the intensity of the wind around an aircraft, typically close to the ground. And this led to several fatal events that were uh, quite well known within the United States, caused quite a bit of discussion on the policy level in the United States. And that, along with a general understanding of the industry of this being a problem, led to a consensus amongst the civil aviation authorities, flying community, airlines, aircraft manufacturers, that certain technologies, certain procedures, should be developed and implemented in order to reduce this kind of problem. And in fact, that kind of problem has been greatly reduced. Number six, if a plane crashes, don't most people die? Well, this is another interesting thing in that if you look at every event where there is a passenger killed, you have uh, different kinds of populations of crashes. You have those where everyone gets killed. And you have those where 90 to 99% of the people get killed. Then you have a population of uh, very few people being killed, what I call the onesie-twosie accidents. There might be a handful of people usually less than 10 who are killed, but the majority of people on the aircraft, usually over 90%, do survive. In the latest study on airsafe.com, there was a review of accidents over an 18-year period, excuse me, a 17-year period from 1978 to 1995, and there are 164 fatal accidents involving large jet transports. Uh, These are aircraft designed either in Western Europe or in the U.S. In uh, 68 cases, every passenger was killed, and in 15 others, between 90 and 99% of the passengers were killed. So collectively, that's 83 out of the 164. Roughly half of these events, most or all of the passengers were killed. And in 37 of the events, roughly one-fifth of the events, less than 10% of the passenger, passengers were killed. If you're looking at propeller-driven aircraft, there were about 178 events during the same time period. And 108 of those 178, everyone was killed. There was a further 6 where there were between 90 and 99% killed. The big difference here is that between jets and propeller-driven aircraft, there was a big difference in the likelihood of people being killed. In the larger jet transports, roughly one-third of the cases where there was at least one fatality, there was actually 100% or close to 100% fatality. Whereas with the smaller propeller-driven aircraft, it was over 60% of the cases where either everyone was killed or over 90% of the people on board were killed. This is due in part to the design of the aircraft. This is due in part to the crash dynamics of aircraft. Basically, with a larger aircraft, you have more structure that can take the energy. There's a major hit on the ground. The next two sort of go together. The fourth most uh, popular question is, What kind of emergency am I most likely to face? And the fifth one is, how should I prepare to face these two situations? Well, going to number four, the most likely kind of uh, circumstance one's going to face is an emergency where you'll have to do some sort of evacuation of the aircraft. Usually, these uh, evacuations are precautionary in nature. That is, the aircraft is not on fire, the aircraft is not in some sort of uh, physical danger of blowing up or something. But for whatever reason, the crew decides that as a precaution, as soon as the aircraft lands, everyone gets out of the aircraft. The other kind of emergency you're likely to face is also precautionary in nature. That is, you're flying along and for whatever reason, the uh, oxygen masks pop out and you're instructed to put them on. In many cases, there is no immediate threat to the aircraft. There may be, typically, there may be a slow leak in the pressurization system. There is some other problem where the crew decides that it's prudent to have the supplemental oxygen given to the passengers and for the aircraft to descend to such a level where you don't need to use that supplemental oxygen. The story there is uh, above about 10,000 feet above sea level. You need to have some sort of supplemental oxygen system in order to breathe normally. And most airliners, jet airliners that fly routinely at 30,000 feet or so, they have this kind of system. It works remarkably well, but in those rare cases where there is a problem, the mask will pop out and you put them on. Number five, how should I prepare to face these two situations? Well, really the preparation is similar in both, uh, two things. One is to follow the instructions of the flight crew and the cabin crew. And the second is to use common sense. In the case of the oxygen mask coming down, the thing that you have to do is react. That is, if you see the mask come down, don't question why it's coming down. Don't ask for help from someone else if you don't need it. Don't try and get the flight attendant's attention. Simply put the mask on first, and then do whatever you're going to do second. This is especially true if you are, for example, a parent traveling with a small child. They always instruct you to put the mask on first, then put the mask on to your child. It may seem cruel, it may seem unnecessary, but if you lose consciousness by helping someone else before you help yourself, you're not going to be much help at all to anyone. Number three, which aircraft model is the safest? In general, all aircraft in a particular class have to adhere to the same set of standards. Uh, When safety concerns arise because one or more accidents are associated with a particular model, the civil aviation authorities of the countries we mentioned earlier, uh, the United States, Canada... Western Europe, the ones that have the most influence on safety, they tend to step in and will usually require that the issue be addressed on all relevant aircraft models. Some of you uh, may remember back in the 70s when there was a string of problems with the DC-10 aircraft. The US authorities even grounded DC-10s. They could not fly in commercial service in the United States for some period of time until the issues that led to these accidents were addressed. Over time those issues were addressed and the aircraft has been flying in commercial service ever since. Number two, these last two questions far and away the ones I get asked most. This is going back to the earliest days of Airsafe.com and my earliest days in the aviation safety business. Which is the safest airline to fly? Usually when I hear this question, the safest is in the context of which aircraft or which airlines have never had a crash. Now those of you who saw the movie Rain Man, You've all heard that Qantas, the safest airline in the world, never had a crash, etc. Well, as it turns out, there are a number of airlines in the world that have had, in some cases, many more flights than even Qantas and have not had a fatal event involving a passenger. The number one airline in that regard is Southwest Airlines of the U.S., which, unlike Qantas, Southwest flies fairly short flights on most of its schedule and doesn't have any long-distance service over the ocean, doesn't do a lot of the things that the larger airlines do, But one thing they have done that stands above everyone else, they've had well over 10 million flights with no fatal events. No airline in the world can make this claim. Now, it's not the only airline that's had few, if any, fatal events in their record. America West was another, and there are a variety of others around the world who have had this record. However, when it comes to a single event, anything can happen to any airline at any time. So although Southwest, America West, and even the airlines that have had a lot of crashes follow all the rules and do all the right things, you never know when something may happen. You never know when there may be something completely unexpected that happens for the first time ever in the history of civil aviation and happens to happen on one of these airlines. On the other hand, you have airlines like United Airlines and Korean Air, which have had several fatal events each in the last uh, 20 years or so. But just because an airline has a lot of fatal events, relatively speaking, doesn't make it automatically less safe than another airline that has had no fatal events. It does, however, have a big effect on the public's perception of which airline is safer. Obviously, the public perceives an airline with no fatal events, no accidents, no CNN headlines as being a safer airline than one that does not. The most important indicator isn't the airline itself as much as it is how it's regulated and typically the airlines that are in those countries that have the strictest regulations and also the best infrastructure for their aircraft to fly in, those are the countries that have had the least amount of problems with fatal events. I've already pointed out in this broadcast that in the United States there has not been a jet airliner involved in a fatal event since November of 2001. The same can't be said for many other regions of the world. That's due in large part to... The fact that airports in the United States, as well as air traffic control in the United States, is operating on a higher standard than it is in large parts of the world. And by the way, this high standard is uh, similar to the standard you would see in the major industrialized countries of the world. Also, another difference with respect to airlines is what kind of equipment they're flying. As I stated before, large jet transports operate under the highest standards. Smaller aircraft, especially those aircraft in the United States that fly less than 10 passengers or aircraft elsewhere in the world that are relatively small in capacity and propeller driven, tend to operate under a different set of rules or they tend to operate under a different set of infrastructure uh, requirements and and restrictions. For example, in the developing world, you might have a twin turboprop aircraft landing on a runway where there's no control tower, uh, no instrument landing system, no radar. Yet it could be taking off and landing perfectly safely most of the time. Whereas in the United States, that same size aircraft might always be at an airport that has, at the very least, radio communication. It may not have all the landing aids that JFK or LAX would have, but the level of infrastructure at even a small airport in the United States tends to be much higher than the level of infrastructure at a small to medium airport in the least developed areas of the world. Now another indicator of safety is indirect, that is, not necessarily accidents, but perhaps overall reputation. If an airline has a reputation for having severe financial problems, lots of passenger complaints, poor on-time performance, it's probably an indication to the average passenger that it's time to find an alternative airline. And now, what you've all been waiting for. The number one question of the top ten questions asked of airsafe.com, Where is the safest place to sit on the airplane? Well, I'm here to tell you this. After years of studying this phenomena, years of looking at hundreds of major airline crashes and hundreds more of minor airline crashes, I can say this definitively. I don't know. Where you sit doesn't determine the outcome of uh, the people who are involved in crashes, but rather the crash itself determines the outcome. Like I mentioned earlier, even on large jet transports, roughly a third of the fatal events that I looked at during 11, during a multiple year time period, roughly a third of the time, everyone got killed. So it really doesn't matter where you are sitting on that aircraft. And on the aircraft where you have like 90 to 100% people, 90 to 99% of the people killed, also it tends to be a few people here survive, a few people there survive. Now, if on the other hand you tell me, Given that I'm in a certain kind of accident, where's the safest place to sit on the plane? Well, if it's an accident where it's running off the end of the runway and the nose buries itself in a river, obviously sitting in the front of the airplane is not going to be a very good idea. If it lands very hard and the back of the airplane breaks off and catches fire, obviously the back is not a good place to to sit. But really, if you had a crystal ball and knew exactly what airplane was going to be in an accident, no matter how serious that accident is, I can tell you definitively, if you, if you have a crystal ball, and if that crystal ball is working, the safest place to sit is back in the terminal. However, the reality of the situation is we don't have crystal balls. We don't have any sort of paranormal capability to know what crash is going to happen when. What we do know is this. In most cases, if you follow the direction of the flight attendants and the, and the flight crew, if you keep your wits about you, If you use common sense, if you are prudent in your choice of how you travel and where where you travel, you're going to minimize the chance of being in a bad situation. So, I do hope that these top ten safety questions have illuminated some of the safety issues out there for you. And uh, we look forward to... Hearing from you out there, if you have any questions about safety, again, airsafe.com is available 24 7 on the web, and you can contact us here at the conversation at airsafe.com. The email address is, as you guessed it, the conversation at airsafe.com. Thanks for listening. For more information about airline safety, you can find us at airsafe.com. That's A I R S A F E.com. Or type the words airline safety into your favorite search engine. We're probably on the first page of results. Feel free to write to us at our email address, theconversation at airsafe.com, and we'll see you next time.